look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle Matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. You? I'm great. You got the jacket this weekend. I'm more, I'm I'm dressing better than you. <laughs> that's that's all that matters. I got the sweater this week. All right. Check out our Facebook page at PKAG <laughs> Popovich Carmelli Advisory Group, and to have have your vote in on it. You know, just come in and take a look at our Facebook page or LinkedIn page, and when you see what I'm wearing, comparisons to yeah, you're pretty today. Used car salesmen look alike here. <laughs> hey, I, they they look good. Hey, they look good. They look good. I don't know what you're wearing but if you want to call it that an actual sweater or not but <laughs> but you can wow. weigh in if you want to take a look at what what i'm dressed like and what he's dressed like i think it'd be, it'd be nice you did up your game it's good to I see <laughs> hey we're going to talk about some uh, fraud cases unfortunately uh, that have happened uh, we're gonna have the asc on with us soon and, and just it was a recent case that recent just came case. out the guy was in uh, court on uh, last friday last week friday yeah um, and so want to get an idea of what happened and how does it impact and what, what can we learn from this? Yeah, well, we love to keep in touch with the Alberta Securities Commission and just keep uh, people abreast of the kind of scams that are out there, right? Unfortunately, yeah. they're, too, they're too frequent and, uh, so, and effective, quite frankly. So uh, we'll stick around for that. Um, what about retirement? We talk about re- um, being ready for retirement a lot. And everybody immediately defaults to cash money, right? Yeah. But it goes beyond that, right? There are lots of things that you need to think about. Um, and with the, f- the fact that there are fewer and fewer pension plans, right? Defined benefit pension plans. Yeah, you have to rely on your own savings. Savings, that's right. To fund your retirement. So let's talk to, you know, some experts on, and they're with the National Institute of Aging. So that's right. a good group to come in and talk about the impacts of retirement on, on the Canadian population. Well, and the demographic change, right? We yeah. talk about that a lot, but there's a huge wave coming. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about the markets a little bit this week. Um, I had lots of conversations and confusion about the markets. Okay. I mean, the headline still is this coronavirus, right? We, For sure. We, we, we can't get away from it. Um, during the week, you know, I'm, I'm uh, sort of reporting the news and some days up, some days down, and intraday things are moving around and it's on the news flow about the coronavirus. Is it burning itself out? Okay. Or is it our pockets, new pockets popping up in yeah. different South places? South Korea and so forth was recently announced. So yeah, there's some new pockets potentially that, that instills fear. It does instill fear. And then you started, of course, we're getting earnings reports coming in and economic data is starting to come in. Yeah. And the coronavirus is starting to be noted in that. So companies like Apple have right. already announced that they're going to have, they're not going to be able to reach their expectations of the quarter because of what's happening in China. So the impact now with an, like an event like the coronavirus, where it's very different to what happened with SARS, what was that, 17 years ago? Yeah. Um, the... The difference is where China was in the world back then to where it is today. Correct. And where it was back then was they were actually smaller than the than the Italian economy. That's right. Just I don't think times. Canadians remember that. No. Like we don't know. Well, I mean, who does, right? And, They're just so dominant now. And they were growing. However, they were not the supply chain or manufacture of many goods like they are today. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They weren't they weren't the center. Like so many products now yeah. flow through China to be touched in some way from the manufacturing process. That Correct. The entire globe is now being affected. Correct. By this. So I believe it's one fifth of all goods touch China before it gets to the end consumer. Right. And with that high amount of volume going through that country, when you shut down factories, when you have a no work policy, when you have this health scare, 
it's going to take an impact. What the markets have been hoping for, that it was going to be taken care of swiftly. Right. What they're realizing is uh, some people in China can't do math. They can't count how many people have been impacted. Oops, we double counted dead people. Now it's going into cruise ships. It's hitting South Korea. It's spreading outside of their contained area, which they, they meaning China, cannot control. Right. And so that's where the fears are. It is very interesting how fear in this market has been pushed, and then you start seeing a little bit of buying going in. But gold is moving forward. And the U.S. dollar is moving up, too. Like, it's a weird situation we're in. Well, this week we actually had gold going higher and oil going higher. And the U.S. dollar. Right. Weird. Which is non, not the norm. Right. Normally what we see is if gold goes up, U.S. dollar goes down, vice versa, with, as same with oil. Yeah. And so to see all three of those move up, yet copper hasn't taken off. No, no, right? not at all. So it's not like there's back to manufacturing. Nope. It's, it's it's a fear trade. Right. And wh- what's happening right now, in my opinion, is it is going to now become disjointed. Things are not happening like they normally do. And so at some point, there's going to be an adjustment. And either it's going to be the markets pulling back or it's going to be an adjustment in fixed income, gold, and oil, and the U.S. dollar. So something has to change. When that shift happens, I don't know, but people need to be aware that this coronavirus may be a bit more of a um, deterrent than what was first expected by the markets. Well, it might hang around a little longer. And again, the, the very aggressive containment actions taken, are the it's, that's the economic impact. And I mean no disrespect to any family that's been affected by the yeah. death of somebody through this, but it is the, it is the economic impact. We saw the data in uh, Japanese manufacturing. Yep. On Friday. You know what was interesting? On Friday, the uh, Chinese equity markets went higher. The rest of the world was going down. Hmm. That's the epicenter. But people are now going back to work in China. Yeah. Right? So, you know, this this too will pass. We don't know what's going to happen. As you said, there were some conflicting yeah. messages. You've definitely got an active market taking place. Yeah. Right? Um, and, your, and your comment about China's stock market going up, what the problem with China is, is that they're not open in in their communication yeah correct correct so there's there's no there's a lack of transparency in that country right so the stock market going up could literally be and i'm making this up so i don't have the proof of this that the government came in and started buying stocks so that can it can now give up makes you go hmm could be and so then the rest of the world is going well wait a minute why is china moving up their stock market why are they optimistic about it maybe we should be optimistic or maybe we should look at some and so it's 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 just because of which country's impacted right it's harder for us to take that information and say it's the truth. Yeah. And so let's go with it. So it, it's going to be a challenging time. Yeah. We also saw some of the data um, now being reflected in the U.S. We got some uh, the PMIs, what we call the Purchasing Manager Indexes, yep. the PMIs, uh, in the U.S. service sector. Into contraction. Moved below 50 in this reading. Yep. Complete surprise. Yep. Okay. Manufacturing was Triple still Triple-digit loss on the Dow Jones after the announcement. Yep. Right? That, yeah, just accelerated it, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, it is, I mean, it's interesting. Um, Remember that the U.S. economy is driven by consumers, but services have become a larger and larger percentage of yep. the economy over the past decades or so, or two. Two-thirds of it right now. Right? And so it's a bigger impact. When we start seeing services slow down, right. that is a leading indicator to some degree. Yeah. And that makes me think, 
Hmm. Well, just keep your eye on consumer confidence, right? Because consumer, if consumer, consumer confidence is, is fully 70% of GDP in this country, in the United yeah. States. Consumer spending. Developed. Consumer Europe, spending, yeah. Consumer spending, yep. right? And so if, if they don't have the confidence and they, they scale back their spending correct. while services is in a contraction situation, right. that, that R word starts coming out. Yeah, let's not get too... Our word. We don't want to fear-monger here, but you're right. That's what would come no. next. Yeah, yeah. Start talking about it. So the recession, right? That's right. what we worry about. When's the next recession? When's right. the next recession? Right. Yeah, we're, we're getting small indications that bring a little bit of concern into the, uh, into the global economy, especially coming out of the United States. Yeah. Now, you know, history uh, tells us that the coronavirus will at some point run its course, uh, mm-hmm. like SARS did, like the flu does, like, you know, most things do. We don't know to the extent or how long it's going to take. Uh, the problem, you always think about the underlying um, economics on which this has been thrust, right? So, um, you know, SARS, from an economics perspective, might have had a smaller death toll and so on and so forth. Uh, but it could have been in a very different economic time than what we're experiencing with the trade wars and the slowdown and everything else, Correct. right? So you've got to keep in mind that that although medically each of these things are unique, it's also a unique risk at that moment in time given whatever the underlying fundamental economics are yeah. that uh, that you're facing. And so we're seeing this particular period of time react, you know, according to what we think the economics are. Okay. Um, anything else to say there? I don't think so. It was uh, an interesting choppy week. But the underlying the underlying expectation uh, propping the markets up right now, Faisal, I'll just leave it at this, is there's still belief that central banks around the world stand ready to stimulate yep. if – this gets worse. Watch for fiscal stimulus, though, Dave. Right. It's going to come. I Correct. think there are going to be government, especially in the 2020 election in the United States. Right. There's going to be some promises to spend some money. Yeah. And there will be countries around the world that will start spending money to help stimulate their economy because they know they're running out of ammunition from the central bankers. Right. Okay. Let's wrap it up uh, this sec- uh, this unit, excuse me, or section. Segment. We've got to talk about whatever we call it, segment. Segment. There yeah. we go. Mm-hmm. I was going to get there let's, eventually. It's the sweater. Let's I understand. Talk, let's talk about the upcoming <laughs> seminar we have. Well, well, this and guy's I'll try to speak English at the seminar. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to wear the sweater <laughs> at the seminar. We are going to talk about how you bulletproof your retirement with all the concerns like coronavirus and everything else going on. How do you profit and protect? That'll be on Tuesday, March 10th, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club. You do need to reserve your seats, so give us a call, 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. You never, want, you never want to get caught in a securities fraud. You never want to lose money to that. Stick around after the break, and we're going to educate you and make sure you never get in that position. You're on 770-CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770-CHQR in More Than Money. Um, listen, we've got to do justice to a topic that, in a very short period of time, that's really important. That is getting scammed, right? Fraud. fraud. Um, and there's, it's been around for time immemorial, it's, and it's not going to go away, and it's still happening. And there was a recent case that yeah. came out. The Alberta Securities Commission reached out to us uh, last week when we were, we were ready to go for the Gord Gillies uh, interview, and we wanted to bring him on right away. We just couldn't squeeze it into the show. Yeah. So I'm glad they're here. Uh, we have Allison Trollope, Director of Communications and Investor Education at the Alberta Securities Commission, telling us about what just happened here in Alberta. Allison, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. Let's start with that, Allison. Um, uh, you know, there has been some recent fraud issues that we've seen here in Alberta. Maybe you can uh, bring our listeners up to speed on that, and, and then we'll try to address some ways to avoid it. You bet. So last week, um, the Alberta Securities Commission and the Alberta RCMP um, arrested and charged Nicholas John Felgate um, with nine offenses under the criminal code, 
Um, he's been criminally charged with eight counts of fraud over $5,000 and one count of laundering proceeds of, of crime. Um, and it's alleged that Felgate fraudulently raised over $2 million from 11 investors, um, both in northern and southern Alberta. So think about that number, $2 million across 11 people, 11 families. That's not chump change. This is serious money. Um, and it's absolutely, affecting people absolutely. seriously. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, this can, is just... Let's break it down. This is just shy of $200,000 investments per investor on average right. that are handing money over right. to an individual and have now that individual committed fraud. Who knows what's going to happen to their to their money, but... You're writing a check for 200 grand. Right. Like it's just, like you said, it's not chump change. No, this is serious money. Not serious money. Allison, help us understand, um, you know, this, this happens a lot more frequently than we would all like to, uh, to admit. And it's been happening forever. So we've got to get past the if it's too good to be true kind of thing. You know, you, you shouldn't do it. What should people be looking for to identify problems? One of the most important and concrete things that people can do um, is before handing over their money, they should check the registration of the person offering the investment. So generally, anyone offering investments in Alberta must be um, registered with the Alberta Securities Commission, and you can do a national registration search through a link on our website at checkfirst.ca. That- I don't think people do that. You know, I, no, in, my, in my history as an advisor... Mm-hmm. I could probably count the number of times on my hand someone asked me, are you registered with the Alberta Securities Commission? Right. Is your name on there? Right. Has there been any complaints? Like, literally, and I've been doing this for 20-some years now. Right. So on my, I, I don't think, like, we always hear, Dave, you know, if it's too good to be true, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, but then why does fraud continue happening, right? right? So it goes beyond that, and there's some responsibility that if you're going to cut a check to invest, do some due diligence, and one way is to go on this website and check if the individual is registered. What if they're not, Allison? What what, what should they do? If if they're not registered, um, you can also call our public inquiries office um, to determine if there, there might be a reason behind them not being registered. Um, but really, you know, if, if they're not registered, you should ask, perhaps ask them why they're not registered. But definitely don't hand over your money. Um, you know, it's, it's really important to understand who you're investing in, investing with and what you're investing in mm-hmm. and to do research before, before you hand over your money because generally um, by the time that scams are uncovered, the money has been spent or sent offshore, and it's just not there to retrieve. And so um, no one cares about your money more than you, um, except for maybe the scam artist. So just make sure that you are taking the steps to protect yourself. Allison, did this individual, Nicholas Felgate, was he registered with ASC? Uh, he was not registered with the ASC, and he actually had an interim trade order um, that we had a, a panel of ours had determined that um, he should not be selling securities in Alberta and that he was specifically precluded from doing so, um, but he continued to do it. Um, so, no, you, you wouldn't have seen him registered with the ASC. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, what people should have or could have done. But in this case, we have an individual who has a cease trade order, which means he is not allowed to buy or sell securities for anybody in the province of Alberta. Yet, after that date, individuals handed over almost $200,000 per family to this individual. 
and this is what came out of it. That one step of just checking the registration right. might have saved $200,000 that individual, that family. Right. And these are the kind of steps that we, we need to really hone in on this. So just check into this stuff. So again, that website one more time. Our website is checkfirst.ca. Allison, is there any, uh, you know, um, anything specific, any other um, scams that you guys are aware of that are ongoing, regular things? I'm not asking you to identify individuals, but things that people really need to be conscious of if they're approached to do some additional due diligence. You bet. Um, you know, I think one thing that happens uh, relatively frequently is affinity fraud. And that's where it's someone in your community, um, someone who you know through your religious organization or um, someone in your small town who's a member of the Rotary or something like that, um, someone that you you know and potentially trust. Um, and it's that person that is offering um, a fraudulent investment. And, um, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about doing doing research and things like that. People are even less likely to do research or check registration and things like that yep. if it's someone that they know. Yes. Um, and so it's just so important. It doesn't matter who is approaching you. Um, just protect your hard-earned money. Um, check registration. Know the red flags of fraud. Ask questions and know, know what you're investing in. And, Allison, we, we're quickly running out of time, but very quickly, if you feel you're the victim of a fraudulent scheme, uh, what do you do? You should definitely call us. And, in fact, in, in reference to the Felgate case, um, we have reason to believe that there may be um, additional people affected beyond the 11 investors named in the charges. So um, whether you've been approached by him or you've invested with him or by anyone um, and you feel that, that you might have been victim of investment fraud, definitely contact us. Uh, we have a public inquiries toll-free number um, that's on our website, or you can email us at inquiries at ASC.ca. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, Allison. Thank you for your time. We've been joined by Allison Traub, who's a Director of Communications and Investor Education at the Alberta Securities Commission. And, uh, you know, I feel, uh, I feel good that they reached out to us and that we can provide this Absolutely. forum, this mechanism to get that information out there. We will there. get out as many people as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, listen, we got to... Uh, uh, fraud. Uh, I don't want to say too much more about that because we'll, we can continue to, to go on and on and on. Uh, but I do want to try to so make some sense of this. Um, about how to properly structure a portfolio and yep. avoid uh, the, the risks of, I'm not even talking about fraud, but uh, you know, taking on the right amount of risk in a portfolio to make sure that your lifestyle can be account, uh, uh, you know. How do you paid. bulletproof your retirement? Yeah. How do you make sure that you can profit and protect in these types of markets without taking on too much risk? Right. And that's the key thing that most people who are transitioning to or living in retirement are worried about. They don't want to run out of money. And so how do we show you our, our solution to that problem We'll discuss that on Tuesday, March 10th, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club. You do need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Is there a better way to get retirement income in Canada? Let's talk about that after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, we, we <laughs> are Canadians ready for... Retirement or not? <laughs> what a great it's a question. Bit, it's a bit of a moving target, too, depending on the research and who you talk to and whatnot. And certainly this is 
I mean, we can speak with a broad brush, but it's on a case-by-case basis for sure. Correct. In terms of how people feel. And it's interesting, I would note also, that uh, being ready for retirement doesn't just mean money. Right? Well said. Right, because we face that. We, we see that a lot, right? There's other issues around just having It's funny how you is. said that, Dave, because when people are asking their peers, so you're 65 years of age, right. you're ready for retirement, the immediate conversation goes right to financial. Sure. Very few people talk about are they mentally or physically ready yeah. for that. Yeah, no, for sure. Is your relationship ready for it? Right. right? La- There's so week, many things. Last week, we had Gord Gillies on the show. Yep. And Gord was talking about how he learned about if he was ready based on his wife, Candy, going in retirement first. That's right. So he kind of observed from a distance yep. to see how does it work. And then he mentally prepared. And then he actually pulled the pin early. Yeah, he did. So that, that's interesting how very few people will actually talk to that in an open forum, right? They won't, they won't publicly come out and say, I'm not mentally ready or I'm not physically ready to retire. But they mm-hmm. will talk about, well, yeah, I just need to save for six more months and I'm there. Like that kind of thing, right? <laughs> we're going to be joined or we're, we are joined today by Keith Ambaxier. He's a, fe- a senior fellow at the National Institute on Aging. He's also the president of KPA Advisory Services. Keith, welcome to the show. Glad to be with you. All right, so let's start with that question. Uh, Give us your thoughts on this idea of whether or not Canadians in general are prepared for retirement. Okay, good opening question. Um, uh, There's there's an interesting background to all this, too, which is that uh, we're aging as a society, which is a big deal. Investment returns are lower, likely to be lower in the future than in the past. And you know the old notion of uh, age sixty-five retirement. Uh, maybe we should rethink that, right? And rethink that in the context of, um, as you were saying earlier, uh, are you ready? Um, are you having fun working? Why stop at age sixty-five? So I think there there are a lot of interesting issues other than the finances, the pure finances side, that need to be part of this conversation. Yeah, so so let's expand it beyond that because uh, I think, Faisal, your comment was right on the money. When people think of retirement, they immediately think of money. And having done this, both of us, for a long time, we can uh, certainly speak with some confidence to say that not that money is insignificant or unimportant, but there's a whole bunch of other grayer issues that uh, really determine whether or not somebody is going to be having a good retirement or perhaps a lesser quality retirement than they wanted, right? right. So let's, let's move beyond the money conversation for just a second, Keith, and give us a sense of, of what people need to be sort of thinking about or where some of the pitfalls are. Right. So it, here's an interesting piece of research that I just came across because I was involved with, uh, actually with Davos and some issues there. And it's a, it's a study that was done in Switzerland, mm-hmm. and it has to do with, with looking at people's chronological age versus biological age. Right. And what they found in their study is that um, the 65-year-old today was like a 51-year-old in 1950. Hmm. So think about that. I'm you know, thinking about it. That's good news for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just for, just for the, the record, Keith, Keith sorry. Just so we know that Dave is 52, but his body is 72. <laughs> so it doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> well, it, but it, it does you know, point to some things that, that I think we, we often skip over is, is that 
you know, we're, we're aging better today than historically ever in the past. Right. And that needs to be part of the conversation. And the reality is that it fits in with the economics of where we're going. You know, the whole demographic thing that, uh, you know, projection, if you look at ahead 20, 30 years, the number of kids aren't, isn't going to grow very, very much. But the people over 65 is going to grow a lot. So, again, it tells you something about these people over 65, you know, need to ask themselves the question of, um, do I really want to retire? I can make a difference in the workforce of tomorrow because there are going to be more gaps in it than we've historically seen in the past. So there are a lot of things to think about here. Keith, we're, we're living longer. We are younger biologically than chronologically. But there are some costs in the future that many Canadians are mm-hmm. not really um, understanding or um, are aware of that, that, that are out there. Now, with this Ryerson report that you guys did, there was one in regards to health care in the future, specifically mm-hmm. long-term care. Can you, yeah. can, you, can you educate our listeners about what your expectations are for costs of long-term care in the future? Well, the, you know, the, the costs can be quite significant. They are today. What's going to be different in the future is, again, the demographics of that proportionately, a larger proportion of our population is going to be in that position of requiring, needing uh, long-term care. So that's what's going to create you know, the, initial, the, additional, or the additional demand. Right. And the question, again, is you know, are we as a society uh, ready to deal with that? You know, how much can we look at the social system to uh, to facilitate that, and how much should people think about it you know, individually from a financial point of view of saying you know long long term care is not cheap, and you know where's the money going to come from? So I, th- I think it does have to factor into people's thinking about the future as to you know what will they require as they journey through you know the last phase of their life. Yeah, I think we've taken our healthcare system for granted. Uh, in some in some degree that we just expect the government will be able to provide services in the future based upon what they're providing today. Mm-hmm. Um, in the report that we got from NIA, it did say that uh, long-term care costs in Canada will triple over the next yeah. 30 years to $71 billion. We're talking Canada here. Mm-hmm. $71 billion is what it's going to look like. Now, you and I, Dave, have a bias on this. We don't think there's enough revenue in the financial coffers of the governments to support this type of health care program in the future. And in some cases, they might say you as a citizen will have to pay out of pocket above and beyond taxes to cover these expenses. And I, I think you're, you're right on, Keith, when you say that uh, Canadians may have to start thinking about it when you look at the demographics, kind of if you have anything off the top of your head so they can kind of grasp this concept, how many people are actually getting into the plus 60, 65 zone over the next 10 years or so? So they have an idea what percentage of our population is going to be going through this in the future. Right. Uh, it's going to be it's going to grow significantly. Uh, I just don't have the numbers right in front of me here. But again, you know, this notion that that strikes you in the report is that the number of of, of 15 year olds and, and and younger is going to stay the same over the next 20, 30 years. And the number of 65 plus is going to grow by a number of millions of citizens in that age bracket. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very disproportionate. 
the, the other thing I want to mention is, is uh, you know, in terms of uh, financing long-term care, um, you know, I think that we're in a country where everybody can look to some base level of that. And a lot has to do with, you know, what is that base level? And if you want something more than that, then you're going to have to think about that yourself as to, you know, where does that additional money in the tens of thousands of dollars per year, where is that going to come from? I want to end this off on a positive note or more of a motivational for everybody listening, because I think it can get depressing when we worry about all the costs in the future. In 30 seconds or less, Keith, what can we do to improve Canada's retirement income system? Right. So uh, let's not let go of that notion that think about working longer. (laughs) But on top of that, there's some key things that we can do. We've got a good base system. You know, we've got OAS. We've got the Canada Pension Plan uh, and the the, the CPP benefits are going to grow over the next 20, 30 years. Uh, So it's really in addition to that. The big thing that we're missing is workplace pension plan coverage for private sector workers. That's the big piece that's missing. And uh, we at NIA are going to be doing a lot of discussion around what can we do to cover more people, workers with workplace pension plans that are efficient, functional, over and above now. Right now, two thirds of our workforce does not have a good workplace pension plan. That's just not acceptable. Right. Keith, we've got to leave it there. I want to thank you very much for taking some time uh, and joining us today. My pleasure. We've been joined by Keith Ambechier, who is a uh, senior fellow at the National Institute on Aging, NIA, also the president of KPA Advisory Services. We have got to make some sense of this and how people can, you know, get through their retirement and enjoy the lifestyle that they want. And we're going to address this again at our next upcoming educational seminar. When he says two-thirds of Canadians do not have a pension plan from work, that means they're depending on their own resources. So how do you bulletproof your retirement with all your savings? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, March 10th, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club. You do need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Do you know how much you're paying in fees for your investments? Let's talk about that after the break. Here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. For once in my life, I have someone who needs me, someone I've needed so long. For once unafraid, I can go where life leads me, somehow I know I'm gonna be strong. For once I can touch what my heart... Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, fraud is a persistent thing. Um, securities fraud, fake investments, you know, people getting swindled out of money. Correct. It's been around forever. Yes. It's not gone. It's still it's here. It's never going to stop. It's never going to be away. Um, you, you know, so... So how do you protect yourself was one of the things we talked about. But yeah. I think the key thing that people need to realize is transparency. Okay, that's Understanding correct. what you're getting yourself into. And let me let me change course here. It's yep. not about fraud. It's about transparency in investments. Many Canadians invest across this country with, with advisors or in investments or in pools, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, whatever the product may be. Right. And I believe many Canadians do not know exactly what they're paying. And if there is a fee or cost to exit that investment. Right. So recently, correct. The Alberta government, yep, came out and said that 
as of when again? June? Uh, June 1st of 2022. So in Ju- we, don't, we don't deal with these types of investments, right. but June 1st, 2022. So yep. in two years, individual investors will not be able to purchase mutual funds that have a deferred sales charge. Correct. Okay. Let's explain what that is. Why don't we start off with that? Okay. So when you invest in a mutual fund, there are literally three ways you basically can invest into it. Yep. One, you can buy the mutual fund and pay some sort of commission up front. That's the commission that the advisor will receive on on selling you the fund. The second one is a deferred sales charge, is what we're talking about today. Deferred sales charges, you do not pay anything up front. You are committed for a certain period of time, let's say three to seven years. If you were to dispose of that fund and away from that fund family you would then be charged a deferred sales to reimburse the mutual fund company who gave an advance commission to the salesperson in, in that transaction. Well done. Yeah. Good okay. explanation. Um, there is a third way. You can purchase mutual funds, which are called F-class mutual funds, and those are fee-based accounts. So if you're dealing with an advisor, they're charging you a flat fee. Yep. You get these F-class funds. And still, no matter any of those three, transparency is still a problem. Yeah, that's right. And it's a huge frustration for people. Now, the Alberta government has said, you know what, we're going to stop this deferred sales charge thing starting 2022. Right. Um, And and they're not the only province that did this. The, The reason why this has come up is there's been so many Canadians who said, I have no idea I was going to get penalized for selling out of this investment. Because it, the, the deferred sales charge schedule, it's a declining schedule, just so people understand that. In the early years of that schedule, if you actually exit that family of funds, it's very punitive. It can be very high. Correct. As high as 7%. Right. Um, and, and that shocks a lot of people. So as it should. I believe that my uh, peers in the industry mm-hmm. have disclosed that this is a deferred sales charge. Right. What happens is you don't remember it's a deferred sales charge as a consumer until you have to sell it. Well, think about it. Three years later, right? Yeah. Do you remember you the forgot. conversation you had with right. your doctor three right. years ago right. about something? Yeah. No. Right? Here's the medication you took three years ago. Right. Do you remember the side effects? Right. No. Right. So this is part of the problem. Right. And so transparency comes in two forms. Upfront disclosure. And continuing re- reminder of what those fees may be, right. which is where the industry is headed by giving you disclosure of what are the fees that you're paying to your advisor on those statements every December, right. which is a great step in the right direction. Yep. What, what we're not there yet is how much did you pay in total cost or what penalties would you have to pay should you decide to leave today? And I think that's where we're going to head our, the industry is going to head towards. Yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, they're not going to have to worry about it. You know, call it uh, nine years into the future as all of these schedules are done, right? Um, certainly in Alberta. Uh, but let's talk about, let's stay but, but let's still, with transparency. But they still don't know what second. they're paying. No, no, I was going to say, let's just let's stay with transparency for a second. Okay. Right? Um, because I think every investor has a right to understand what their total cost of ownership is. Correct. Right? We talk about this all the time, total cost of ownership. And let me let me say this to start. <clears throat> if you invest or invested or own anything um, other than something that is a pure stock or bond, quite likely there's an embedded cost in that other product. We call them structured products. So even exchange-traded funds that we all hear about are really inexpensive. Fair enough. There's an embedded cost in that. 
okay? A mutual fund, even under an F class, there's an embedded cost in that, right? So structured products, anything other than pure stocks and bonds, have costs associated with them, okay? The question is that good, bad, or indifferent, right? Well, number one, you need to be educated about what those things are. Correct. Right? So as the CEO, as we say, you're the chief executive officer of your money, your, your company, your family, okay? Um, your advisor as your chief financial officer or chief investment officer in this case has an obligation, I think, to educate you about the different options that you have. And some of those options will have different costs. And sometimes there's no other way to get it other than through structured products. Correct. Right? But it doesn't mean there's only one way to skin the cat. So I think as an industry, if we do a better job of working with clients in that capacity and educating them about the different approaches. So we took this whole concept and said, in our practice, we're going to start the relationship with total transparency. Oh, for sure. So we've been doing that for years, though, right? Really quickly, walk through what an individual who's going to start investing with us experiences when it comes to the transparency of their fees. Okay, so um, there, there's sort of two line items that we, when we make a recommendation, as an example, we, uh, when we're putting a portfolio together, we want specific exposures, okay? And let's say that you wanted, as an example, to um, own some uh, exposure to global fixed income, okay? Well, you and I as advisors can't go to our retail desk and buy a South Korean treasury bond. Yeah, or 500 different bonds right. in 500 different locations and quantities. Correct. So, so there's some limitations. as We can't actually do that. So if you want that exposure, you've got to go out and you've got to get it through a different mechanism, a, an exchange-traded fund, a mutual fund, a hedging strategy, a whatever pool, the case would be. Right, a pool. Um, all of which have embedded costs in them. Yep. Okay? So if that's part of the recommendation, um, what we chose to do years and years ago was to say, okay, there's a fee that we charge for the advice and the service and everything that we do. Correct. But within this recommendation to get this exposure that we want based on this economic criteria and the goals and objectives that you have, we think this, this global bond, using that example, is an important piece of this. If you choose to own this, you need to understand that inside this fund, there is a cost. And this is what it is on a percentage basis, and this is what it is on a dollar basis to you. Correct. Now, we don't participate. Uh, it's important, in a, and I'm sensitive to this, and I go through this with clients. We don't participate in that fee. That's a co- I own the same thing. If they own it, if our clients own it, I own it. Okay. And I incur the same cost. Okay. There's no participation. There's no reason that we need to put that in there from a financial compensation perspective, but it is a true cost of ownership. Correct. And I think transparency from an industry perspective needs to be total cost of ownership percentage and dollar figures so that people can make a value-based decision on whether they're getting what they want for what they're paying. And they understand what they're paying and is it right for them. Right. That's where it comes out. Because if you tell somebody you're going to be paying X percent in total, they react to the percentage without understanding how we got to that percentage. Right. And I think with our process, people have been more educated, informed, able to make better decisions for their family given those costs that we call um, upfront, which is our, our fee that we charge. They see it. Well, transparent. Right? Transparent. They see it. Yeah. And then the, the, we call it you know, the wholesale cost, stuff right. that they won't see. Yeah, the hidden there. cost. They need there. to know. Yeah, that's right? right. So I like the way that we do it. I think the industry is moving in that direction, yeah. um, and it'll, it'll happen over time. But as an investor, you have the right to ask.
Well, you should know. Not the right to ask. You should. You should ask. You should know. That's yeah, right. You, you should, should ask. educate That's a good yourself. Question. That's a good comment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Listen, we got to wrap the, wrap up this segment. Um, I think this is this education we'll have to do on an ongoing basis. But For sure. part, we're happy to talk about this in our upcoming seminar because you have to make a value based decision. Can you get to your goals and objectives, and how are you going to do it? We're going to disclose all of our fees, all of our processes, and how do you bulletproof your retirement? On Tuesday, March 10th, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club, you do need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We hope you enjoyed this, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodcundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodcundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodcundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.